We are um, continuing our study through 1 Samuel. Uh, this morning we're in 1 Samuel 10, which tells the, the story of when Saul, who was the first king in Israel in the Old Testament, was anointed king by uh, the prophet Samuel. So we're looking at the, the first half of the uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, so if you, uh, you can follow along right there in your bulletin, 1 Samuel 10, the first 16 verses. This is the word of the Lord. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this will be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today... You will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they uh, will say to you, the donkeys that you uh, went to see are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall uh, go on from there farther, come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hands. After that, you shall uh, come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When uh, they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of, of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And, uh, and when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the, the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly the, that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we uh, ask that you would send your Holy Spirit, the Spirit that we read about in this passage, to come be our teacher now. 
Jesus has told us that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are hungry for your word, and, and we are, are eager for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. So, so instruct us, guide us, and that, that you would apply these words to our lives, that we would respond with faith and with obedience to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, talking today about God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I wish one of the great promises in the whole Bible that when you believe in Jesus, God's Spirit comes to make his home in you and lives in your mind and your heart and your body and, and makes God's presence real to you, and which I think is so important because all of us, when we come to Jesus, we come to him so weak and weary and weighed down with our sins. And, and it's such a relief to find that Jesus is compassionate and he welcomes us and he forgives us and he loves us. But then Jesus says to all of us, once we come to him, you're going to follow me. And I have a new life, a new way that you're going to live. And many of us, when we enter into that life, we feel like, I, you know, I just don't know that I can do it, that I can, uh, that I can do that life. Well, in this passage we're studying today, something similar is, is happening with Saul. Saul is the first king in Israel, and yet he's not very confident in himself. We're going to find out next week when we look at the passage next week, when all the people try to make him a king, he goes and hides among the baggage somewhere. And they're like, where is the king? He's hiding in the baggage. He doesn't want to be king. You know, he's like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And so in this chapter, what does the Lord give him to assure him of his calling? Well, it's there in verse 10 where it says, When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. The Lord gives him the Spirit. And our ability to serve God in the world is not dependent on our own strength, our own wisdom. It is a power that comes from God himself. It's a work of grace that he uh, gives to us. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And um, as we look at 1 Samuel 10, I want to answer just two questions for us about the Holy Spirit to guide us through this passage. This is what they are. Is who is the Spirit of the Lord? And what does the Spirit of the Lord do? Two simple questions. What is the, who is the Spirit of the Lord? And what does the Spirit of the Lord do? And my hope is that if you are feeling that way, I don't know that I can do the life that Jesus is calling me to. My hope is that the promise of the Spirit would be a great source of comfort and hope to you this morning. So two questions for 1 Samuel uh, 10. And the first is this. Who is the Spirit of the Lord? Who is the Spirit of the Lord? And, and the first answer to that is, of course, that the most basic Christian belief is that we believe that there is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the, so the Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and that means that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit uh, does personal things. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is a human. When we say the Holy Spirit is a person, it's, it's not that he has a human body. It means that he does personal things. The Holy Spirit knows people. The Holy Spirit loves. The Holy Spirit guides and teaches. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so the Spirit is not an impersonal force like gravity, but the Spirit is a person. This is God himself who works among us. And so the main answer to the question, who is, that's the main answer to the, to the question, who is the Spirit of the Lord? But I'd like to point out 
two other answers to that question from this passage. Who is the Spirit of the Lord? And the first answer that I want to point out from this passage is that the Spirit is God's kiss. The Spirit is God's kiss. Now, that might sound kind of cheesy, but I, I got that language from verse 1 where it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? Now, I want to explain a couple of things about that verse. Um, the first is that Samuel here is representing the Lord because he pours the oil on Saul. And then he says, it's the Lord who's anointing you. I'm pointing, pouring the oil on you, but it is the Lord who's actually acting right now. And then uh, he kisses his head. And that kiss is a sign of adoption. That he's basically, Samuel is saying, I'm adopting you as my son. And my, Samuel had been the ruler of Israel. And now you're going to be the ruler of Israel. And I'm adopting you as my son. And so when the Lord anoints someone, he is kissing him as his beloved adopted child. And so this passage is bringing together three different themes of anointing, of adoption, and the Spirit. And those three themes come together in other places in the Bible. So for example, in, in Isaiah 61, which is one of the great uh, places that the Messiah is foretold that Jesus is going to come. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So you see the spirit of the Lord and anointing. Or in Romans chapter 8, it says, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So you see the spirit and adoption go together. So anointing and spirit and adoption, they all come together. And so the spirit is God's way of saying to a person, you are my beloved child now. You belong to me. And that's, what, that's how a father shows his children that they are his beloved children. He kisses them. I love to kiss my children on their head and on their cheek to show them, I love you. You're a delight to me. And what a kiss does is it turns something that you know to be true into an experience. Right? That the love of a father doesn't just stay in their hearts or in their head. It's not just a, it's not just a statement of fact. It's something that the children must experience. And uh, some, many people in our church have been reading uh, the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And there's a chapter on the Holy Spirit in that book. And this is the way that Ortland describes the work of the Spirit. He says, The Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen. Not just seen, but felt. Not just felt, but enjoyed. The Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus' heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. The Lord wants us to experience His love like a kiss, like a hug that penetrates, it gets through to us. You know, it, and so that's the first answer to who is the Spirit, is, is that uh, He is the one who makes God's love and experience to us almost like a kiss or a hug from a father. But the second uh, thing we see in this passage is the Spirit is God's guarantee. So he's, he's God's kiss and He's God's guarantee. And you'll notice the mention of a sign in the second part of verse 1 where it says there, And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. 
Now, in the last chapter, Saul, Samuel told Saul, you're going to be a king. And Saul was like, I, you, this must be a mistake. I come from a really unimportant people of Benjamin, this unimportant town. And how could any king come from my town? And so he's really not confident that this, this is possible, that the Lord would make a king out of him. And so Samuel says, all right, I'm going to give you a sign to assure you that I'm building a kingdom through you. You might say that he's saying, I'm going to give you a guarantee. And what is the sign or guarantee that Samuel promises to Saul? Well, you see it there in verse 6. He says, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. The sign or the guarantee of a coming kingdom is the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly the same with us. You know, we are expecting a kingdom to come. I mean, that's one of the amazing hopes of being a Christian is this is wild, but we believe that there is coming a day where Jesus will return to the earth and he will rid the earth of all sin, of all suffering, of death itself. And all who have died, their soul and their bodies will be reunited into a body that's indestructible. And God will flood the creation with his presence and we will live in his presence forever. And our hearts will just be overflowing with love. We'll finally be the people that we always, we sense we were made to be. And that we just can't be now because of our sin. We will finally be those people. We will love God. We will love one another. We will actually have joy. We will, you know, we will create. We will make. There is a kingdom coming. And how could we be assured that such a wild hope is actually in our future? Well, Ephesians 1 tells us, this is how you know. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. You have the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like you know, if someone's buying your house and they put earnest money down. They put a deposit down on the house. And it's a promise that I'm going to give you the full payment later. I'm going to give you a little bit right now. That's what the Lord has done. The Spirit who's going to be the animating power of that future world that we'll be a part of has come and lived in us. So that means your life, your body, you are a little piece of the new creation plopped down into the old creation. And so the Spirit is a guarantee to us that there is a kingdom coming. And so when we ask, who is the Spirit of the Lord? Well, he is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, but he is the one who comes and makes God's love an experience for us. And he is a guarantee that there is a kingdom coming and so that we can endure, we can persevere because we are going to be a part of a new world that is coming in the future. And so when we understand who this, the Spirit of the Lord is, it helps us to then turn to the second question. What does the Spirit of the Lord do? When he, how does he work in our lives? When the Spirit, Holy Spirit comes into your life, how does he work in your life? What does he do? Well, that's our second question. I want to point out four things from this passage that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Okay, the first is that the Spirit enlightens our minds to understand God's purposes. The Holy Spirit enlightens our minds to understand God's purposes in the world. And in this story, after Samuel uh, anoints uh, Saul... He gives him a list of instructions, and he says, all right, you're going to leave here, and you're going to go up to Rachel's tomb, and then you're going to go to the Oaks of Tabor, and then you're going to meet some people who are going up to Bethel to worship God, and they're going to have some goats and bread and, and, and wine. And then he says in verse 5, 
After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. And so tied to the Spirit coming upon Saul is the presence of prophets. Now, as you read through the Bible, the history of the Bible, you'll find that there are certain periods in history where prophets emerge among God's people. And so, uh, uh, and they usually happen at important times in redemptive history. So, for example, in the time of the Exodus, there's Moses was a prophet. In the time when the kingdom was beginning, in, uh, in the time of Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. During the Babylonian exile, that's when a lot of the prophets that are written in the Bible, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel around the time of the Babylonian exile. These are important moments in Israel's history. God brings prophets to explain what God is doing at these important moments. And of course, that happened when Jesus came, the Messiah came. There was a whole outpouring of prophets who were explaining what was happening now that the Messiah had come. Prophets reveal God's purposes to his people. But generally, that's not how the Spirit speaks to us, is through prophets. Because now we have the Word of God. We have the words of prophecy written down to us. So that even in the New Testament, when you read about the early church, in the early letters that Paul wrote, for example, in 1 Corinthians, in the Corinthians church, there were all kinds of prophets who were prophesying during their worship services. And so he'd have to tell them, this is how you handle prophets and who should talk when and this is how you should interpret prophecy. But if you look at the end of Paul's life when he's passing on his ministry to Timothy, the young pastor, he doesn't say anything about prophecy. He doesn't say seek prophecy. What does he say to Timothy? Rightly divide the word of truth. Guard what has been entrusted to you. Preach the gospel in and out of season. He says, now the, the, the gospel has been established, now teach it. And so that's why, you know, the Puritans, for example, said that the, the prophets that we have now, when does the Holy Spirit speak now? It's really in preaching. It's when God's word and, Holy, and the Holy Spirit come together to explain to us God's purposes. That's what we're doing right now. And it is the Spirit who enables us to understand God's word as we read it. And actually, I was just, uh, just this weekend, I was, I was talking to someone who was saying they were, they've been working on reading God's word every day as a part of their practice. And they say, you know, I was been finding as I read, there will be certain parts where I have a new insight or it really speaks to my heart and I feel shivers going up my back. I say, is that the Holy Spirit? It's like, yes, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he takes God's word and makes God's word come alive and reveal to you this is what God is doing in your life and in the world. And when the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds to understand his word, a second thing happens. So that first we see that the Spirit enlightens our minds to understand God's purposes. The second thing is the, the Spirit then empowers us in his mission. The Spirit empowers us in his mission. And, you know, when the Spirit teaches you to understand God's word, one of the things that you'll find out in the Bible is that the God of the Bible is a God who's on mission. He's not just sitting up in heaven 
letting us go about our business, and then one day he's going to come and judge us. No, he's actively at work. He's seeking people out. And, uh, you know, we have all turned away from God, and he's drawing us back into his family and reconciling us and sending his son and sending his spirit, sending prophets, sending people to every corner of the earth. And so being a Christian doesn't just mean that you know God, but it means that you join God in his mission. What we are as a church is we are all missionaries that God has called and chosen to be in Whatcom County. We are at the ends of the earth. You know, when the gospel first came, it was, it was in Israel. Bellingham, Washington is the far corner of the earth, and he has sent us here as his servants to make sure that the gospel goes to every corner of the earth. And in 1 Samuel, when Israel is becoming a kingdom and Saul is playing a key role in, as the first king, that is when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And you see what it says there in verse 7. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. He says God, the Spirit of God is going to enable you to do the mission that God has called you to do to serve him. You know, it's the same later in the Bible when the, when the church is first formed and the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church in the book of Acts. And Jesus says why the Holy Spirit is going to come upon the early church. Do you know why the Holy Spirit came upon the church? It's because they had a mission. This is what Jesus says in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The reason the church is given the Spirit is to enable us to do the mission that God's given to us to be his witnesses. And you might have wondered, you know, what, what's the difference between the, the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit working in the New Testament? Because the Holy Spirit clearly was working in the Old Testament. We see him in this passage. And all the believers in the Old Testament, the only way you can believe in God is if the Holy Spirit works in your heart. So the Holy Spirit was forming faith in believers in the Old Testament. And the Holy Spirit was guiding believers in the Old Testament. You know, David says in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So what's the difference? Well, in the, new, in the age of the church, the Holy Spirit has been poured out more fully. But the main thing is that the Spirit has enabled us to do our mission. And whatever way, unique way that God has called you to serve him in your life, one of the things that holds us back is we often feel so inadequate. You know, I'm not sure I can I have anything to offer. But God hasn't expected that you feel adequate. It's in our weakness that we come that God says, I will be your power. I will be your wisdom. I will give you gifts by the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're going to be useful to God in his kingdom, it's not enough that our minds are enlightened to understand his word and that his spirit gives us power to do his mission. But there are some real changes that also have to happen in our lives. And we can't stay our natural, self-centered, petty, angry, greedy selves if God is going to use us in the world, if we're going to be his servants. And so that's the third thing that we see that the Holy Spirit does. Not only enlightens our minds and empowers us to do a mission, but the third thing is that the Spirit transforms our character. The Holy Spirit transforms our character. And you see that in this passage in verse 9, where it says, When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave Saul another heart. The Holy Spirit gives Saul a new heart. 
And Jesus says that, you know, all of the sins in our lives of envy, of lust, and of greed, and selfishness, all of those things come from our hearts. And so the only way our characters can be changed is if the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart. And that's, that's exactly what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 36. The Lord says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The only way we can learn to act in a new way is by the spirit working in us. And I think many of us feel that, you know. We all have certain ways of acting and relating to people, whether it's ways we get angry or the ways we fall into lust, or we get envious, or we get selfish, whatever it is. And sometimes it feels like I just can't change myself. I mean, I've always acted this way. And I, sometimes I try to force myself to be different, and I just can't be different. And the Bible is saying that's true. You can't change yourself. It is a work of the Holy Spirit that he uses his word. He uses the, the grace of the sacrament. He uses his people. He uses prayer. But it is a work of grace to change you. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, oftentimes the, the change is dramatic. I mean, I know for me, when I, I became a Christian as a, uh, as a teenager, and one of the things that just changed suddenly in me was I couldn't lie anymore. And I lied every, every day before that. I lied to my parents. My whole life was a lie. I lied to my friends. I lied whenever, it, to get whatever I wanted, I lied. And then I became a Christian, and almost immediately I couldn't lie. And my, my wife and I, when we were first dating, it was our first Christmas together, and she calls me on Christmas morning and says, hey, do you want to exchange gifts for Christmas morning? I was like, oh, I didn't get you. I, I hadn't got her a gift. I was like, yeah, let's meet to exchange gifts. So I asked my mom, do you have something I can give Shannon for Christmas? And she has some soap that someone had given her. So I give, we show up, and Shannon had a, an REI fleece for me. It's a pretty nice present, and I had some soap for her. And I give her the soap, and I say, I didn't get you a present. This, my mom just had this lying around. And she's like, I wish you'd just lie to me and just say that you bought it. Like, but I couldn't lie. I just couldn't lie anymore. The Holy Spirit changes the way we act and the way we desire things. And there are things, but, and some things change suddenly. There are other things that change over a lifetime. And all of us, when we become Christians, some things change immediately, and some things we struggle with our whole life. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's laziness or not taking responsibility or, you know, maybe it's envy. Whatever it is, it's the Holy Spirit, the one who began a good work in us, will see it to completion. And it's an incredible hope that he transforms our character. And one of the main ways he does that is a fourth thing that the Spirit does, is that the Spirit also gives us community. The Spirit enlightens our minds to understand the word. The Holy Spirit empowers us to serve God in his mission. The Holy Spirit changes our character and gives us a new heart. But fourth, the Holy Spirit gives us also a community. And you see that in this passage when it says, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. And this is something you find in the Bible during those periods when there are prophets that are coming, they find each other. These people who the Holy Spirit is working in, they, the Spirit attracts them to one another. It happens in the time of Elijah and Elisha. There's like a school of the prophets. And people are attracted. And that's exactly what happens in the church. 
is that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're attracted to other people who have the Spirit of Jesus in them as well. And we come together because the Spirit forms community. The Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. He's a community former. And so that means the Holy Spirit can never work in us in an individualistic way. You know, so if someone says, for example, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me something. And the community around them says, we don't think the Holy Spirit's <laughs> telling you that. That's a good indication the Holy Spirit is not saying that to you because the Spirit works and forms communities. And, and that makes sense because as we talked about, the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. When we're adopted, we're brought into a family. We have God as our Father. We have each other as each other's brothers and sisters. We have a new family. Now, I just want you to listen to all the stuff I just listened, listed to you in this sermon. This is all that God gives you. There's nothing I've said that you do. It's the Holy Spirit that when you believe in Jesus, God wants you to experience his love. He wants you to feel it in your heart, and so he gives his spirit to dwell in you. He wants you to have a guarantee and a surety that there is an unimaginable hope and inheritance coming in the future, and if you're in Christ, you have a share in that. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that. And he will enlighten your minds to behold wonders in his word. You will understand new mysteries that you never understood before. And you will be empowered to be a partner with God in his great mission in the world. And he will change your character. You will not stay the same person because the Holy Spirit is changing you. And he will bring you into a community of people who love him. This is God's gift to you in the Spirit. And so may he pour his Spirit upon us. May the Spirit move among us. That the Holy Spirit might define us as the people of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we, uh, we thank you for this great story of Saul. So weak, so lacking in confidence and the spirit rushing upon him with power. Lord, we pray that the spirit would rush upon our community. The spirit would rush upon Bellingham and Whatcom County. That you would call many more people to yourself and you would form more and more communities of people filled with the Spirit of Jesus who love your word and love your gospel and have offered themselves to you. Lord, we long for your Spirit to be at work in our midst, and, and so uh, we pray that he would come. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.